All right, hey, before we start this message, uh, I've got to make sure you understand something about, about crosswinds. We plan our messages. My wife told me to say this, and you'll, you, you'll figure out why in a little bit. Maybe you won't, but anyway. So we plan our messages out weeks, if not months ahead, and it's amazing sometimes how what's going on in the culture lines up with what we're talking about on a, on, on a weekend here, and this might be one of those days, and, uh, and I, for some reason, Lori, maybe you can do the math on it later, said, you need to make sure people understand you didn't plan this this week. It's just the way it turned out, all right? So um, we're going to be talking about that's just like God. And I'm going to show you a series of pictures, and I want you to figure out what they all have in common. I'm going to give you the first thing they have in common. They're all about birds, all right? So here's, here's the first one. Here's another. Oh, birds. Ah. All right? Starting to get it? This is my favorite. <laughs> Some of you still haven't figured it out. <laughs> this is scary. <laughs> that squirrel is done. All right? So when you see those pictures, what do they all have in common? Right, parents protecting their, the, the, the young. Right? And even, even animals know to do this, and we can capture photographs that, that show that. And what I want you to know is, once upon a time, in ancient times, somebody saw this with birds and said, that's just like God to protect his family. Not, not to be you know, feathery, but to protect his family. And this person actually put it in writing. So Psalm 91, the psalmist writes, those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. In other words, that shadow of God is the place of safety for them, of security for them. This I declare about the Lord. So now he's, gonna, he's making a big noise about it. He alone is my refuge, my safe place, my place of safety. He is my God. And I trust him. That's what faith is. I trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from every devil, or excuse me, from deadly disease. He will cover you. This is the key verse. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. Do you see what he's looking at? He's looking at pictures like we just saw there. His faithful promises are your armor and your protection. Right? So what's he saying? He's just saying, that's just like God <laughs> to protect his family. Now, I know some of you are thinking, why the goose, right? Well, the reason... The goose is, I had a friend named Joe who had a pet goose, and he must have got it very young because it bonded with him at such a high degree. I think the goose thought it was he was the mate kind of thing. And so when you went to visit Joe, you had to be very careful about Oliver because <laughs> Oliver looked just like that, and he was extremely protective of, of Joe. So you could be chased around the yard running away from Oliver. And, and I was thinking, you, some of you won't remember this. There used to be this company called Argus, A-R-G-U-S. Do you know what they made? Posters. Inspirational posters. It was a Christian company. And they made posters where they'd show you this beautiful scene and they put a, like a scripture quotation up. And I thought, this is Argus. If Argus could use this picture, they, Psalm 914, <laughs> you know, how inspiring would that be? They go, God will protect you. God will chase you down like a mother goose if, if, you know, if need be. And here's the thesis of the morning. God protects his family. God protects his family. Now, I want to take us some dangerous ground. This last week and the weeks before, actually, 
there's been a lot of uh, one huge story being covered over and over and over again, right, that has to do with, with family. So I need to beg of you to do something that I'm, I'm you're going you're gonna to be tempted. Some of, well, some of you are going to be very tempted. I need you to fight the temptation to go all red or blue on this conversation, right? This is not a political conversation. This is not a donkey versus elephant conversation. Not what I'm going to be talking about the way I'm going to be talking about it. Those conversations can take place later outside. And this is what we're going to talk about just for a moment is complicated and I'm not going for solutions. But here's the deal. We are all touched to the heart, all of us, red or blue, are touched to the heart by the, by the pain of children being separated from their parents. This is what's in the news. It's caused, you've been paying attention, it's demonstrations and confusion and conversations. But here's, here's what I notice. It doesn't matter where you come from. No one is saying separating children from parents is a good thing. Right? Said no one ever. No one is saying that. No one thinks, some people might have some different opinions about when it happens, why it happens. That's all complicated, probably all over my head and, and ability to change the world. But nobody, everybody goes, no, that's a, that's a bad thing. So why do we have such, we do, we have, we're unanimous in it. We all know it. We all go, ah, oh, that hurts so much to see, to think, to feel. And, and I think the reason we all are in agreement is because we know intuitively. We just know that, that with few exceptions, kids do better and thrive more with mom and dad. Right? Now pause for a moment because not only does that have a political quicksand for us that we could get into, we're not going to, it also has single parent sand, you know, quicksand. So for those of you who are, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that if you're, if you're raising your kids by yourself that you can't do it. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that's, you're giving the best you can. And mom and dads have to give the best they can, or mom or dads have to give the best they can, and foster parents have to give the best they can. But with few exceptions, kids do better with their parents, right? And we don't, we don't want to separate families. Okay, now put all that aside, and let me take you down memory lane for a moment. Do you remember when you were five years old? Can you rewind? For some of us, this is a project to go back that far. Um, for other, I, now here's the deal. I'm I'm old. But I can remember when I'm five because it was documented, right? My grandfather, uh, my grandfather was a professional photographer. He even won awards. Not for what I'm about to show you, but uh, he won awards and that kind of thing because he would take a, a portrait and then he would paint over it with light-producing chemicals to change the picture just a little bit, um, subtle stuff. And, and he was known for capturing people for the essence of who they, they were. He had a very rich man in one day, and the guy was talking to him during the, during the posing part about how wealthy he was and how much money he was making. And my grandfather looked at him when he was ready to take the picture, and he said, keep talking, the price is going up all the time. And then he took the picture. And his wife said, that's the best real picture of that guy ever, right, <laughs> from, from that moment. So at five years old, they made me sit for a, a, a portrait. Oh, yeah, that's the exact reaction I wanted. <laughs> Pity. <laughs> so so here's, here's the picture. And um, I know some of you are at a bad angle, so I'll put it on the screen for you. I just, I didn't want to, def- you know, ruin the art of it by showing it to you on the screen. But there it is. Um, there's a couple things you need to know. The, f- the, f- the first is this picture was taken against my will. 
I remember this day because I remember sitting for it. I remember hairspray being tortured, you know, my mom. My hair was never like that. I remember my bangs getting cut, right? It looks horrible. Um, I also needed braces already, and that was just the baby teeth. But but that was basically, I was, so normally I look about more like Opie, right? The Opie Taylor, but this was, they put me in a monkey suit and they took the picture. But I remember that day, and not only do I remember that day, but I remember that era of my life. And I don't know if you can or not, because I don't remember four years old and six years old, but I remember that feeling of just before you're old enough to go to school. Um, I can remember what my days were like as a five-year-old, right? I remember I would run <laughs> without direction, I think right? I would play wherever I wanted to. My mom and dad, this was the era where now it would be gross negligence. They didn't even care. You know, hey, there's the door. You go out there. When it's supper time, maybe you come back, you know? And that was what being a kid was in 1965, right? Um, I could express without filters to my mom and dad, you know, not, not to everybody. My life was, my life, I had two older brothers and my life was still really, really good, right? <laughs> We we'd explore. We lived in, in two places. That five-year-old, we lived in a, an apartment across from a school in Austin, Minnesota, right? And and we lived. Then we moved out to um, kind of a rural place with a with a pond loaded with sunfish and bass. I had a can a cane pole with a black line on it, you know, and with a hook at the end. You could put the hook in and pull out fish without any bait at all. But that didn't stop us from killing frogs and putting them on the hook, you know. So. <laughs> This was what it was like to be five years old in the Mathers family. And through all of that freedom and joy and expression, all that kind of stuff going on, I learned and I became. Now, I grew. Now, I'm telling you this, and, and knowing, knowing for some of you, you didn't have that idyllic five-year-old experience. Some of you have much, much, much different experiences. But for me, the house I grew up at, at that stage of our family, it was so much fun to be a kid. And, and that's not us. That's just, they didn't have color photography back then. That's just, <laughs> right? That's just, that's just the picture I found on the web that I go, that's what it was like. That's what it was like. I ate well. I explored well. I played well. I slept well. I had very little anxiety in my life, right? I go to bed at night and, and I would just sleep. I get tucked in and prayed for, hugged, and then I, I would just go to sleep. And if there was a noise in the... you ever think that when you're a kid? Wow, what if somebody breaks in and you, there's a noise in the house or something? It wasn't my job to get up and go check it out. I knew that my dad would do it. My dad would get up. He would make sure the house was secure, that nobody had broken in, that everything was safe. Because I knew, and this is part of the security thing, I knew that I was loved, that I was going to be provided for, and that I was protected. I knew those three things. Now, it, Growing up with that, imagine my shock when I got married and it's Lori and me and all we had was love, right? <laughs> hey, somebody ought to get a job here because we got to provide, right? You, there's going to need to be, because my parents cut me off, right? <laughs> and that's what parents do, <laughs> you know? They cut me off and then we're laying in bed and, and it kind of hit me if, when I heard a noise, my dad wasn't there. And Lori hated it when I made her get up and go check out what that noise was. She's like, come on, Doc, you're, be the man. 
I said, I am the man. You go do that, right? <laughs> I will stay here and pray for you like the man of God. I, all right. <laughs> so what I just told you, love, provide, protect, is a parent's job description. You want to know what you're supposed to do. I'm not talking about the details of it, how to get it done. But at the end of the day, your kids need to know you love them. They need to know that you're going to provide. I know we grew up in a home at that stage of, of, of my dad was a medical doctor, right? So the temptation is to go, wow, you guys never hurt for anything. At that stage, he was so in debt and made so little. Austin, Minnesota, did I mention that part? Anyway, he made so little money that it, actually things were stretched to the, he never had enough money to buy a hamburger at the end of the week, right? But no matter what our financial state was, no matter what it was, I was oblivious to it. I didn't, I didn't know if we were rich or poor or somewhere in between, right? All I knew is there was always food available to me. There was always love in my home. I was always protected. I grew up secure in that. Now, some of you, like I said, some of you grew up without that. And I'm going to tell you this. If you grew up not feeling loved or not knowing that you are going to be provided for or your parents failed to protect you, that will cause some scar tissue. And that will be a mark in your life that you carry forward with you, and it's going to have to be it's going to have to be dealt with. And I'm not saying you have to see a psychiatrist. I am telling you you have to talk about it. I am telling you you have to open up your heart and get some. You have to get a grip on that because it will shape who you are. And God wants to do some restorative work in your life on that. I promise you, He does. And today's message will kind of be maybe a little step in that direction. But you have to, if you grew up without it, you're going to have to over comment and I'm so sorry that that was your experience but this is our job description parents this is who we are and when the psalmist looks at parents and go love provide protect they go that's just like God that is just like God to love us protect us in fact if you read through the scripture the Bible I think those are the three main messages right that God loves, provides, and protects us. That's what it means. When we say God is with us, we're really saying he loves us and he's with us and he'll provide for us and he'll protect us. I am secure because I know that God is with me. So let me give you an, an example, probably the most famous example as far as verses go. Psalm 23 is really all about love, provide, and protect. So as we read through the psalm together, I hope it's familiar to you. If not, you should go read it. Um, but it's, it's, you guys know the first line, right? What's the first line? You guys know the first line, right? What's the first line? How did you know to repeat it louder? Very good. All right, so this is it. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. I know some of you memorize it in King James. That's, that's too bad, but you, you can live with this, right? The Lord is my shepherd. Now, I'm not against King James, but <clears throat> he lived a long time ago. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need, right? So I put the, those three words underneath. Love, provide, protect. Which ones are represented in these verses? Well, he's my, he's my shepherd, I'm his sheep. That's, that's describing love. It's security from, from being loved. I have all that I need. It means, wow, with God as my shepherd, he provides for me. I have everything I need. I don't have everything I want, but I have everything I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. I'm a sheep. I need some green meadows. I got to eat, right? He leads me beside peaceful streams. I got to drink. Again, this is provision. God provides for me. He takes me to the right place. He guides me and he provides for me. He renews my strength. He guides me along the right paths 
to bring honor to his name. This is about fulfilling your purpose, that God has some things that he wants all of us, maybe yours is a little different than mine, some things that we're supposed to do. He'll guide us into the life that we were made to live, to do the things we were made to do. Even when I walk through the darkest valleys, by the way, those of you King James, what should that darkest valley be? The valley of the shadow of death, right? So when I was younger, I, I always thought, that means that when you get to the end of your life, God will be right beside you. When you're at the valley of the shadow of death, your dying breath, and I think that's true. I do think that God will be with you. For, but I also think that maybe there's some dark valleys that we have to walk through between now and then that God's saying, you don't have to be afraid. I'm right beside you, right? Even when I walk through the darkest valley, places I would never want to go, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to have courage to go wherever you lead me, even the dark places, for you are close beside me. You're right there, and I know you love me, and I know you'll provide for me, and your rod and staff protect me and comfort me. I know how you feel about me. That's the rod and staff right there. <laughs> right? The, 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 the lions and the tigers and the bears come, and he's like... I, I, by the way, a goose is really good protection against a lion. I'm just telling you, look at that. Who would want to mess with that guy? But the, the rod and staff, God, you're going to protect me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. Right? I used to think that was a gloating thing. Like, okay, so all the people who've ever wronged me are going to be on one side of the table, and they're going to be like bound and gagged, and they're going to have to watch me eat God's banquet. Right? And I don't think that anymore. You know what I think it is? I think you prepare a feast before me in the presence of my enemies because they're not my enemies anymore. You've changed our hearts. And, and now when I eat this, this, this banquet, we're really dinner companions. They get fed. I get fed. They're looking at me thinking, wow, I can't believe Doug's at this table with me. Right? You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. You love me. You honor me. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely goodness and unfailing love, you love me, will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Notice it doesn't say you're going to live forever. It's, you're going to live in the house of the Lord after we die. He goes, the psalmist knew it. This is Old Testament. I get to live in your house forever. Right? So that's Psalm 23. Now, Someone took it upon themselves to do a popularity poll about the Psalms. And they go, hey, which Psalms are everybody's favorites? You know, Judeo-Christian, so Jewish people and Christian people, right? And I want you to know that Psalm 23 made the top 10. In fact, I'll go farther. It made the top five, right? Now, how many of you think it was number five? Raise your hand when I hit the right number. Number four. Number three, you ready? Raise your hand. Oh. Number two, it was number two. A few hands go up. I always want to ask you, you can tell me later, what did you think what number one was? How many of you think it was number one? Yeah, it was absolutely number one. So I do have a question for you. Can Raise your hand if you can say it from memory. Just, you go, I can say it from memory. Okay, just a minute. Let me ask the question again. So how many of you said you could say it from memory? Raise your hands nice and high. Okay, a couple of you are gutsy. I gotcha. Isn't it funny how it changes when there's a microphone involved and accountability might be a part of it? You know, you could say it from, from memory. Here's what I want you to understand. When Jesus was on the earth and he was speaking to the first century Jews and he was teaching them, every Jew 
in Jesus' day could have taken that microphone without even thinking and said the whole thing, right? And, and we've got a couple of hands going like this. I get it. But if I start something, how many of you could finish this? I pledge allegiance to the flag. Of the yeah, right. Uh, and, and almost all of us, I, I found out even millennials, they, got, they learned that in school. They said it every day when they were, were little growing up. And it is ingrained. And so the reason I bring that up is because for the Jews, that would be the whole Bible, their Bible. Right, the Torah, they memorized it, they knew it. Psalm 23 was always in their head. The Lord is my shepherd would be like saying, I pledge allegiance. They, it would, they, the whole thing would go through their minds. They just knew it. They couldn't help themselves but finish it off. Just like if I say, you know, I pledge allegiance to the flag, you just can't help yourself to keep going with it in your head. By the way, when I was growing up and we would say that, I always added amen at the end. I don't know. It reminded me of church for some reason. You know, to which it stands. All right, so now we're going to fast forward to Jesus' time because Jesus is teaching these Jews who would know Psalm 23, like the back of their hand. And, and as he spoke to them, John recorded some of his teaching. And, he, and specifically, we're going to look at John 10, 11 through 15. Um, and I just want you to understand who Jesus is speaking to because it changes how you hear it, right? So here's what Jesus said in verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd, now put that into the Jewish mindset. Well, no, 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 you're not the good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want you to know. I'm the good shepherd. No, no, no. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not. He goes, no, I know the Lord is your shepherd. What I'm telling you is I am the good shepherd. I am the one that you've memorized. I am the one who leads you beside still waters. I am the one who provides for you. I am the one who, who loves you. He doesn't spell it all out, but it is after these verses, the Jewish people are a little upset with him because there's a claim there being made, right? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Now, they're not going to understand that yet. We understand it. We understand what he was saying. He was foretelling what was going to happen. I'm the good shepherd, and I'm such a good shepherd and protecting and loving, I'm going to lay it all out for you. I'm going to give my life for you. Right? The good shepherd loves, provides, protects, and sacrifices. Then he goes on, and it starts to switch just a little bit. He says, a hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him, and he isn't their shepherd. So the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. By the way, scattering the flock is a understatement of what's going to actually occur if a wolf attacks a bunch of sheep. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and he doesn't really care about the sheep. So what's the difference between Jesus, the good shepherd, and the hired hand? It's, it's love. Because he doesn't really care about you, doesn't really love you, what the, the, the leaders you're following. They're just in for the money. Who is Jesus talking about? Who are the hired hands? I think, I think the answer is Jesus is so subtle about this, we miss it. Jesus is taking a swing at the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He goes, you know all those guys? They're hired hands. They're not the shepherd. They do this because they want the recognition. They do this for the money. They do it for the prestige. They do it for the power. But they don't give a rip about you. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd I know my own sheep. If you're following me, I know it. And they know me. If you're following me, you know me. 
just as my Father knows me and I know the Father. And I, because of this love, sacrifice my life for the sheep. Right? And then after that, if you keep reading, verses 16 through 17, the Jewish people are very confused because Jesus, in a very subtle way, just claimed to be God. Right? But what he was really telling them is, I love you, and I protect you, and I provide for you. You can count on me. You can count on me to, as you follow me. So you want to know God's dream for you? This is one of the things I like. Do you know God's dream for you? This is why I teach. This is why I do what I do. I want you to understand God's heart for you. It seems to me when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, he's saying, do you know my heart for you? So God's dream for you, for us, for me and you, is to live like five-year-olds. Not childish and immature. That's not that part of what we're looking at. But to live like five-year-olds who know that his parents love him or her. Will provide, always provide don't want to even, don't worry about it. Why do you worry about what you're going to wear and eat and think? Hear those words from Jesus? Don't you know that your Heavenly Father loves you? You're much more valuable than a sparrow? He will provide for you. And He will protect you. Now, that doesn't mean you're not, you know, next week you get a cold, you call me up, Doug. Last week, you said God would protect me and I got a cold, right? Let's raise the stakes. I got cancer. My doctor told me I have six months to live. I'm not saying you're going to live forever, and I'm not saying God's going to guard you from all those, the maladies and the pains. What I'm saying is he's going to protect you from evil. He's going to protect you from, from evil winning your heart, your soul, your future. This life, this life we know. You know Paul goes out of his way. He goes, hey, you know, if you're going through really hard times and you're beaten and whipped, and does it mean God doesn't love you? Of course not. Doesn't mean God's not with you. No, God's right there with you. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, Romans 8, right? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. But, but he protects you, and you will get, as you follow God, every day you're supposed to have. Every day in his glory and his honor, and someday you're going to live in the house of the Lord forever. God wants us to live like five-year-olds who are secure in the love, secure in the provision, and secure in the protection of God. Why? Because when we do that, we can run freely. Don't you want that? We can play without worry. You know, the, we can, we can en- really enjoy everything that's enjoyable about life. We can express without filters. Now, pause there for a moment. Not to each other. <laughs> Use filters. Be diplomatic. Care about what people think and feel and be sensitive. But to God. Remember, I could to my parents. I couldn't to my brothers. I said the wrong thing to my brothers. There was a pounding involved, Right? <laughs> But to, but to my parents, I could say anything without filters, and they didn't, they didn't squelch me down. With God, by the way, when I pray, I'm not polite for God. When I pray, I, I'm, I'm polite for you when I pray out loud. But with God, if I'm angry, I'm God, I'm angry. God, I am so stinking ticked right now. And I know you know it, so why wouldn't I just be honest about it? You know, pr- praying is meant to be real filters are that's just religion and god goes are you kidding me are you oh heavenly father we know you are you know he goes come on i know you this is how you think this is how you communicate i'm right here i know everything about you stop being religious for me 
and start being you. Take away those filters. So we can express without filters. We can explore with courage. I'm telling you, as you follow God and you start to trust him and his provisions and his love and his protection, you may be called to places where you don't want to go. Where you go, that's kind of a dark place for some reason. Right? Two weeks ago, I told you that I'm going to my high school reunion. <laughs> right? And, and someone asked me just yesterday, they go, why are you doing that? And he goes, well, I don't want to do something. I just don't do it. And I said, okay. I guess I won't ask you to do things you don't want to do. But I said, um, you know what? I don't have an answer for you why I'm doing it. I just, I have this sense that God wants me to go even though I don't want to. Right? I mean, come on. Who wants to go back to high school? Do you remember those people? <laughs> I'm hoping they listen into this. Okay, so um, when I get there, though, and that's what I said yesterday, when I get there, they're gonna, they have the Doug they remember, who was a jerk, and then they have the Doug they're going to see there, who's hopefully less of a jerk, right? And they're going to go, maybe they'll say, what happened? Maybe they'll be, how did you, you lead a church? Because that's how they're going to feel. So I'm not excited about it. I'm really not. I'm kind of going, I don't want to go. But I'm going to go. It's a very dark place. All right, so, <laughs> but I got to go with courage, Right? And then as we do that, like five-year-olds, God goes, you're going to learn. You're going to become the person I made you to be. I'm going to be with you for every moment. I am your father. That's why Jesus said, hey, Jesus, how should we pray? Start with this. Start with Abba. We talked about that just last week, right? Start with Daddy. Start with Father. Whatever word you want that means intimate dad. For me, it would be dad. Use that. So what's stopping us? I'm going to tell you what's, what's stopping every... There's problems that stop all of us. The first problem is this. We've been separated from God. We've been separated from our Heavenly Father. When children are separated from their parents, sometimes the children are aware and they're crying and it's all... But I promise you the parents are always heartbroken. And we can live oblivious to God and we can live far from God, but he is heartbroken because he made us and he created us and he loves us. And we're missing it and we're missing him. And we could never be the people he made us to be without him. Right? So we've been separated from God. The family has been torn apart by sin. Right? That's the first problem. And all of us, I can remember a time when that was the biggest problem for me. I wanted my way. I didn't want God's way. I kept him at a distance. I said, God, I don't believe. I don't want you. I, I mean, I might believe a little, but I don't want you. You will ruin my life. Why would I want you? Right? The second problem is we don't know he loves and he provides and he protects. We, we have, oh, I believe in God, but we don't know. We're not confident he loves me. He provides. He will provide for me. He will protect me. With him, I can go to very dark places and very bright places. I can become the person I was meant. I can live like a five-year-old in my faith. I can run and play and yell and skip and be immature and mature. I don't have to pretend anymore. I can just be who I'm made to be. But if we don't really believe he loves us, if we don't really believe he provides for us, if we don't really believe he protects us, we will miss out 
right? In fact, I would say this. Many of us as Christians, we believe in God. We believe that Jesus died for us. We go to church, all those good things. We might even read our Bibles. But because we don't know his love and we don't know, we don't know, we're worried about it, the future all the time, provision, and we don't know that he protects, we really end up with some of the same marks that we missed from our parents who didn't do those things for us. But if we get God's love and provision and protection, we'll be more functional. And they can make up some of those holes that our parents left in, in our hearts and our lives. And if we're, and by the way, if our parents' failures actually make it harder for us to embrace God at those levels because our parents let us down in those ways. And we've got to talk about it. Some of us do need to see some therapy about that kind of thing. We've we got to learn the love of God. Those are our problems. We've been separated from God. We keep him at a distance. Our sin does that. And then even if we have that forgiveness, we still don't really believe and know the love, the provision, the protection. And God goes, I want you to know it. In fact, I want you to know it so much that I took my love to the cross. And I died there for your sins. And when you look at the cross, you need to see not just an instrument of death. You need to see an expression of love. You need to see the good shepherd who who said he would sacrifice his life, and he did, And he's gone on record, I love you, I protect you, I will provide for you. Paul was explaining this to the Ephesian church, and here's what he he wrote. He said, Ephesians 1, 5 and 7, God decided in advance to adopt us, we weren't part of a family, to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ, through the cross. The whole point of Jesus is to bring the family together from the separation. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Why? Because he was heartbroken. He was so heartbroken, he sent Jesus to die on the cross to bring the family back together, and then that brings him great pleasure because now the family can be reunited. So we praise God for the glorious grace he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom, our five-year-old freedom, with the blood of his son, and he forgave our sins. We get to be part of the family. He goes on in, in chapter 2. He says, once you were far away from God, once you were separated, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. That's the gospel. That's the good news. This is what Jesus, what Jesus came for. So that we could know God as our Father. This, of, of the messages that we're doing that's just like God. This might be the very most important one. It's just like God to protect, to love, and to provide. You know, when I was five years old, I remember something else I didn't tell you about. I remember sometimes my parents would tell my two older brothers um, to move aside. And they go, Doug, come here. And my mom or my dad would just, do you remember this? Do you, Hold me. Just hold me. And they'd whisper things in my ears like, you're such a great guy, you're such a good kid, you know. Um, And they would hold me, and they would express their love to me. And I think people who are really five-year-olds with God know how to be held. So in a minute, I want to I pray with you. But I want to take you back to the video from the very beginning for a moment.
and uh, just play for you one part of that video with those kids. Do you remember the kids? Listen, listen to the last kid. And if you and you if you were didn't have a family, I would I would treat you to our family. When you heard that the first time, there was this ah in the room. Here's what I want you to know: if you're living without God as your father, if you're living without the family of God in your life, our heart here at Crosswinds is that kid. It's our the reason we do what we do. The reason I teach is really. This message is the reason I do what I do. I want you to discover what it is to be a five-year-old with God, not immature, but free and loved and, and held and forgiven. I was thinking about, you know, I was five years old, and I would go out and catch frogs and torture them and all that stuff. I came home so filthy, dirty. And I don't ever remember my mom saying, you know what, you are so dirty, you are done here. There's the door. I'm, I'm sorry you went so far away today. I'm sorry you played in that dirt and that mud. Is that blood I see? Move away. Okay, keep going. You know, kind of a, my mom never did that. She brought me in. She goes, oh, Doug. Doug, 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 Doug. And she bring me in, just like you do. And she bring me in and, you know, wash me up and clean me up. And then she restore our relationship, our love. She wasn't even mad at me for getting dirty. Some of us think we're too dirty for God. He wouldn't want me in my family. You don't know where I've been. You don't know the dirt I've played in. And I'm telling you, that doesn't change a father's or a mother's love. And it doesn't change God's love. It does reveal how important the cross is. It does reveal what God has done for us. So as I pray, I'm going to start there. And then I'm going to kind of pray us into, into maybe a more mature place with God. So let's start. Let's pray. God, first of all, close your eyes, everybody. I want you to picture yourself five years old. Because you're just a little bit older than that anyway. And you're on God's lap. He's holding you. And for some of us, we're saying, oh God, this is so uncomfortable. You know where I've been. You know what I've been doing. You know my sin. You know my dirt. And we can't even imagine this because there's shame. And I'm telling you, God would say, are you kidding me? I love you. I created you. I know exactly where you've been and what you've been doing. And I've redeemed you. I've gone to the cross to bring you back to me because I've been heartbroken and you've been missing everything. Maybe some of us look up at God right now and we say, God, I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me for, would you clean me? Would you wash me? And the answer is, of course. I'm your dad. And for some of us, this is the start of a brand new relationship with God because of what Jesus did to come rescue us and bring us back to the Father. And for others, we need to hear God just remind us, why are you so worried? Why are you so preoccupied with the things that are important? Why are you so neurotic? Why do you flinch at every noise in the house? Don't you know that I love you? Don't you know that 
I'm going to provide for you. Don't you know that I'm your protector? Every breath you get, you will get all the breaths you're supposed to have. Every breath you get will be from me. And you will discover how to run and play and be my kid again. And yeah, there's some things I want you to do, but I'll be with you all the way, and I will be with you in the darkest valleys, even the shadow of death. I am your dad. God, would you teach us to hear you like that? Because we know that's your heart. We pray this in our faith that comes from what Christ did on that cross. And in his name, amen.